Welcome to the ACO Show, where we explore the changing American healthcare landscape from the point of view of Allidade, a company focused on the shift from fee-for-service medicine to value-based care. For today's interview, Joe and Josh will be speaking with Kim Lynch. Kim is a Senior Vice President of Adoption and Success at Allidade. Kim will be discussing what it's like to go from a company that's small with a good idea to a large company with lots of great ideas, all about scalability. Joe, Josh, take it away. You're killing it. Show. This is Joe Schunkweiler. I lead adoption and training here at Allidade, and we're very happy to have Kim Lynch with us today. Kim is the Senior Vice President for Adoption and Practice Success here at Allidade. Thanks for joining us, Kim. Thanks for having me. And this is Josh Israel. I'm a psychiatrist and a medical director at Allidade as well. We're glad to have you here, Kim. It's a pleasure. So one thing that we usually kick off with is, given that we've had so many Allidade team members, Tell us a little bit about what being an SVP of adoption and practice success actually means here. The, the words resonate with folks that have uh, led businesses or efforts to engage different and often disparate parts of uh, a complex system before. And to simplify that, adoption here at Allidade means the use of our tools to drive a result, a result of savings, a result of patient outcomes, adoption means the adoption of our tools and products to successfully achieve an outcome for patients and through that drive savings and therefore supports our business model. The practice success side of the name means that we have a commitment to and a focus on partnering with our practices and making sure that we are living up to being a good partner for them, making sure that they have the tools to be successful, that we're hearing them, that we are helping them succeed on the daily basis, uh, not just in achieving the the business goals that we've agreed upon together on this venture of value-based care, but in small ways, making sure that they feel like their businesses are running more effectively, that their team is well-supported as they take on this new adventure, and that the tools, the products that we're bringing to them as Allidade work for them and really support a happiness for them in their work, their day-to-day work. But I understand that one of the areas of the company that falls under your domain is formally called practice happiness. That's right. Which has always sounded to me a little bit more like somebody who's a minister of Bhutan, more than more <laughs> than something corporate. So well, what does that entail? Practice success is the team that leads practice happiness here at Allidade. And what that means for us is uh, the measurement as well as the operationalization of our practice partners happy with the work that we're doing with them in value-based care and for their patients. Specifically, what that means is we have a team of folks that are looking to codify enablers of success, what's working, and develop systems to spread what is working back into our product team, back into our tech team, and back into our provider network team to help people succeed. So what's working and spreading that. And then we measure happiness through a global metric 
of Net Promoter Score. So specifically, Net Promoter Score takes your client pool or your practice partner pool in our case, and through a very simple survey instrument, divides them into promoters, passives, and detractors. And the question for us, every company or product can adapt the the simple question of, would you refer Alidade to a colleague on a scale of zero, being absolutely not, to 10, absolutely I would. And with those scores, we are able to do a proportion of our practice partners in terms of, are they promoters? Did they give us nines and tens? Are they passives? Did they give us sevens and eights? Or are they detractors? Are they zero to sixes? And that helps us identify and measure over time how happy our network is in partnering with us at Alidade and devise specific interventions that may be appropriate for them. They've alerted us to concerns with their finances as a practice. I'm very happy with you at Alidade. However, my experience as an independent primary care provider feels still very precarious. You at Alidade can be exceptionally successful. You are a great partner to us, but we can still feel financially fragile and need help with that. Or we need help with new staff. We have a lot of staff turnover. We need help from you, Alidade, as new staff enter us, enter our practice. Or things like we need better response times from you at Alidade. We want more of your EHR team in our practice. They will alert us to what's working and what's not working through this net promoter score survey instrument, and then our practice success team, they take that information. They not only run the operations of our net promoter score survey here at Alidate. One thing that I find really interesting about the NPS or net promoter score is the, the benchmarking that we go against here, but also broader. Can you talk about how, what markers we use here at Alidate for something like NPS? Because it varies wildly. You know, if you're just looking at healthcare versus tech companies versus consumer, B2B, whatever that bucket is. How did we decide that and what what kind of markers do we use? So I'll say that first, I'm highly competitive. And so as, as many of us here at Alidate are, net promoter score is measured on a scale of negative 100 to positive 100. So it's not a zero to 100. It's a 200 point scale. Most healthcare industries are between abysmal and middling. So I'd say in the mid negative, you know, 50s up to high 20s is the healthcare industry, whether you're looking at technology tools, health plans, and, you know, delivery systems like hospitals. There are some that are a little bit higher, but that's roughly the range. As far as what we benchmark ourselves against, we're certainly not satisfied with just the healthcare industry. We look across all industries. And, and so we look at the high watermarks of Netflix and of Costco. And those are companies that are, of course, vastly different from Alidade, but they have been able to achieve and sustain exceptionally high in the consistently low to mid-70s in net promoter score results. And that's really the measure that we're trying to hold ourselves against. We want to have delighted, enthusiastic, excited practice partners. And so we are looking at benchmarks of 60 and 70 for our net promoter score thresholds because we want to be as good as we possibly can be, not just within the healthcare sector, but across all sectors. We got one bit of interesting NPS feedback I heard at one of the last interviews that one of our providers was concerned that Alidate was spending too much money on a costly podcast and not enough on taking care of providers. So I 
I do just want to say to that provider, we, we thank you for your honest feedback. And we appreciate the compliment that this sounds like it's highly produced, but we want to reassure you that if you saw our equipment and the, you know, the string and the bubble gum that we put this together with, you would not feel like we are misallocating our funds. I can tell you that that delights me though, because one of the, one of the parts of Allidaid's ethos and culture that I love, and it resonates with our practice partners is frugality. That you're absolutely right that we think about every single dollar and how it can be best put to use to benefit the mission of the company. We think of people's time in that same way. So the same way that an independent small business owner who runs a practice would be thinking about where can I be putting my resources and my team and their talent to best use, we run that same rubric for anything that we do here at Allidate. And it makes me incredibly proud. It affects how we choose the flights that we travel on. There have been times here where I've had to advise people, please do not take a ridiculously late or ridiculously early flight just because it is the cheapest. But I like that that's where people start. And even things like this podcast, we see that it's valuable to get Allidade's message out and invite other people's perspectives. But Josh is absolutely right that this is done on a, on a shoestring and exemplifies that frugality that we know our practices have and we also have. And I think that speaks to something that you and I have been talking about literally since our very first conversation that in the interest of full disclosure, Kim was, I'm on Kim's team now and Kim actually interviewed me for my role here at Allidaid. And I asked her point blank, what makes somebody successful here? What's the secret sauce and the magic? And you said, do you remember what you said? I, I'm guessing it either said a combination of grit and radical humility or self-effacement. Yeah. So radical empathy, I think was the phrase you used. So basically, and I'm sure I'm not first person that you've had that conversation with, but I think that empathetic approach to our providers and our providers, staffs, and their patients. It's a huge part of what we do. So can you talk about how your team in particular holds all that together, the mandate for maintaining that in our company, but also nationally for the Allidaid infrastructure? I think the best way to summarize it is a phrase that I used a lot in my early days of Allidaid. I, I use it less now because I think we've done a great job of imbuing this across our culture is do the right thing for the practice. And it sounds deceptively simple, perhaps a bit trite, but it's not. When we think about contracting and outside, especially the Medicare shared savings program, but for Medicare, it's really on the policy side. For commercial payers, when we think about contracting with them, what is the best position contractually for the practice to be in, for the ACO to be in? When we're thinking about our technology tools, what's going to fit seamlessly into how the practice operates? When we're making a call on staffing, who goes in and for how much and why, what's the right thing for the practice? It doesn't mean giving them exactly what they've asked for in that moment, though that may, mm -hmm. may disappoint some folks. It means thinking critically about every choice that we make, right? There are thousands of decisions made here at Allidade and in the field every day, but the ethos of what's the right thing for the practice, even if it's delivering tough news, even if it's saying, you know, we didn't do what we said we were going to do here. And our responsibility is to say that back to you, or we fell down on something that we had committed to. And we're going to own that and say it back. Doing the right thing for the practice has been my guiding principle since very early on. And I think it persists across the entire company. It's really what drives small decisions, large decisions, even tough decisions. And I'm exceptionally proud of how much that influences the adoption and practice success team and how they organize the large scale prioritization on, on the team and then the small thousands of decisions that get made week over week in launching a new ACO or in setting up our EH 
HR optimization priorities. It's simple, but if you really work at what's the best thing for the practice, it guides and influences your decisions in ways that you wouldn't have expected. Do you think you could do what we're trying to do here at Allidaid without so much government know-how in-house? I think that it would be challenging to to succeed with Allidaid's mission without a government-sized experience under our belts. And the reason for that is national healthcare is not a thing that private industry does. Right. Even if you're talking about national health plans, it's a very narrow slice of the population as a whole. When you are looking at an employer and even a national or international employer, they're still only looking at their employees and retirees. Mm -hmm. It's a massive group, you know, 60,000 people, but it's still such a narrow slice of the country as a whole. So I think you have to have had some sort of national experience. I was lucky to have worked actually on electronic health records and on registries and integrations for the military health system. That was really my first national set of projects. And then I did some work for the CDC. And I think that national understanding is absolutely vital to us being able to make decisions, again, in the micro that will work for the macro of the nation. And I don't know where else you would find that kind of experience or be too constrained by the presumption of your particular business model or what your you know product offers. The government toggle allows you to have a much richer understanding of the system as a whole and therefore make decisions, make choices, choose between trade-offs with that context in a way that I don't think you'd be able to get another place. Part of the challenge if you are in private industry, and I'll even include consulting in this because I think consulting does a lot of excellent work across the country and particularly in healthcare, it is very difficult to reject the premise of your current environment. And what I mean by that is if you are at an electronic health record company, it is very difficult for you as an individual to reject the premise of the current product offering. It is very difficult for you to reject the premise of here is how the health plan is currently organized and how we have set up our contracting. It is very difficult for you as an individual to reject the premise of, well, this is what we are contracted to advise upon. However, when you are in government, I think you have a unique opportunity to reject the premise of absolutely everything and reimagine what could be. And I firmly believe that the Recovery Act and then the Affordable Care Act, you know, we are in an unprecedented time and sea change with healthcare in this country. So I am very aware of the circumstances at play, but the opportunity to step back, reject the premise of what has happened before and reimagine to your point, Joe, it's hard, but it's not impossible. And I think there's a lot of folks at Allidade that have a similar recognition of how hard and complex some of these problems can be, but also a rejection of it's impossible. It's not impossible. It's just hard. One of the things that strikes me about being here, and you were the first person to say this, it may be that I heard say this, about how we're building the airplane while we're flying it. You know, we're all trying to tackle this very messed up healthcare system while we're trying to grow a company and build a company at the same time. You know, it isn't that somebody took a company and pointed it at this problem. It's really a fascinating thing to watch. And you have more experience and understanding of management. So what was that like from your perspective? The way that I think of it is at different stages of the business. So managing those problems, building the plane while we were flying it when we were 10 people actually wasn't that hard. We picked up a lot of what was happening across the company simply by osmosis, by being in the same physical space. When we were you know, 100 to 150 people, we certainly had to have different communication systems and way to share information with each other. But the pattern that I saw of building the plane while we were flying it is that as we divided into teams and tackled problems, 
there was often an ebb and a flow to the work where there would be a very intense period when we were solving a particular technical challenge or product challenge or operational challenge, but then it would slack back to more of a steady state, which would allow you to reflect and revise and improve that process for the next time around. What I'm seeing today on adoption success, we think about this all the time now is we're no longer in that ebb and flow stage of the company. We are in a continuous execution stage of the company and therefore need to consider how we can simultaneously execute and simultaneously continually improve. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's an exciting challenge. It's something that I've been doing a lot of reading on of how other companies have jumped that ebb and flow stage of the business to the continuous improvement, continuous execution stage of the business. It's heartening to know that we're not alone in turning that corner. And it's an exciting corner to turn. But with each one of those stages of the business that we've been through so far and what will come brings a new set of management challenges, of communication challenges, of operational and executional challenges. And I'm a person who gets bored very easily. So the joy for me of Allidate and of this team is I have yet to be bored and I don't see it coming anytime soon because there's always a next mountain to climb that's really exciting. And so long as we continue to have a team of incredibly driven folks that like to operate in ambiguity, like to solve new problems, and like to collaborate well with each other, I have every confidence we'll keep taking on that next mountain. There's a book that we both discussed called The Messy Middle by an author with the last name Belsky that recently came out. And the whole premise of that book is exactly that, that we mythologize and idealize beginnings in the startup world, the metaphorical garage, or in many cases, the literal garage of Apple and Microsoft and other big players. And then we work towards these big I'll call them exits, but that's not always the case. So I'm also including going public in this, these big moments where you've had this huge validation for the thing that you've been working on for so long and the company goes public or another large player, you know, merges or acquires that company. And it's this great validation of all this work, but that's the beginning and the end, let's say. And then you have this whole path in the middle where you're doing exactly what you said. And we don't talk about that in this world. And I think that might be a consequence of being relatively new in the U.S. global economic space to be talking about startups so regularly that used to just be businesses, you know? And so now with the proliferation of books and podcasts and blogs and articles on this, we're going to be talking a lot more about what it looks like to be a teenager in the startup space and not just to be born or at the end of your run on that early side. I had been here a little while and I was having some frustration moving something within the company. And I brought my frustrations to Matt Kendall, who's one of the co-founders of the company. And I said, you know, I'm really just struggling with this. I can't find the levers to make this happen. What's the machinery to get this done? And he said, no, no, you have to make those levers. We're making them now. And I had come from academic medicine. I had no idea that that was, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I was just slow on the uptake. Oh, you have an idea. We're creating it as we're doing it. Now I love it. It's really exciting. It's a thrilling opportunity, again, to reject the premise of all of those previous businesses and industries and imagine what could be different, right? And there's plenty of times where we fail. There are plenty of things that we try as far as levers go that one of my big lessons learned have been over-engineering something. 
And I've become much more critical as time has gone by of assessing a problem and a potential solution for, is that the right fit for this stage of the company? And thinking ahead to, well, that's how we might be able to solve that problem in a year or two or five. Matching up the problem, the solution, and the stage of the company is an interesting three-dimensional game of chess, right, that we're constantly playing. But it's incredibly invigorating, and it allows you that space to try things, fail, try them, iterate, and then be really satisfied when you've come up with a new way of tackling a problem or building a system that didn't exist before and can become a pattern that certainly we would follow here and that we share with others that maybe practices could emulate, that other businesses could emulate. A lot of Allidade's work, we are excited to have our work raise all boats, improve the community experience for a patient or a group of providers. We're delighted when that happens. And so if our rejection of the premise or questioning why things have been done the way they've always been done, why wouldn't you outreach to a patient? Why wouldn't you reach out to them and ask how they're doing on a Friday evening to make sure that they feel stable for the weekend? It's a small action. Let's give it a try and see what happens to that patient, to that practice, and to then the healthcare spend of a community as a whole, those are really small test and learn opportunities. But again, there are tens of them that happen daily here. And it's really exciting to build those levers, as you said, and try them, adapt them, build upon them, because very quickly they can become scaffolding that garden and really start producing a lot of value. Something that you and I talk about often is the need for being optimistic when you do this. You know, Ernest Shackleton, who's one of the greatest Arctic explorers ever. He was Irish, but he was a British citizen at the time. When he talked about the top 10 things that make a great Arctic explorer, courage was third or fourth. The first was optimism. You had to be able to be in a tough situation, everything against you, and feel like you were going to get through that. And I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of folks who are interested in business school or joining startups and the healthcare and otherwise. And that's a point I raise again and again. This is hard work, particularly in a regulated environment like healthcare, where you have strict rules you have to follow along the way. Because you are tremendously optimistic and energetic. How much of that is necessary as you gear up every week to do this stuff? I would say some days you just want to follow Joe around and edit him in real time. Like, do we need to know he was a he was an Irish, well, he Irish was. citizen? Is that a key, key to that story? <laughs> a point taken. I feel an edit coming on. Um, Leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to come up with a reason not to do something or why something won't work. Congratulations, that is a C minus effort to come up with a reason why something doesn't apply to you. An A plus effort is figuring out how it might. I love asking those types of questions that are very open-ended, but get people more in the mindset, not of playing the game of why won't this apply to me, but how could it? So I ask all the time, what do you think might be going on here? How do you think we might tackle it? And inviting people into the problem itself and the solution, but with an eye towards it's not hard to come up with a reason not to. It's hard to come up with a reason to take that next first step. Kim, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure.